Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. It's Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. I'm joined by Glenn Ambach, CFA, Co-Chief Investment Officer and Senior Vice President. This is our weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning Monday, 12th of July, 2021. Of course, you can follow us more frequently if you want on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or by following me on LinkedIn to see my posts at just Herb Morgan on LinkedIn. This, uh, this presentation is available through a, an email subscription that is free on our website, efficient-portfolios.com or via a podcast. You can say things like, hey, Google, play the Herb Morgan podcast or hey, Siri, play Slaying Bulls and Bears. And those will be delivered right to your phone or your Google Home, etc. As a reminder, though, everything you're about to see and or hear from both Glenn and myself is for informational purposes only. All financial advisors and investors are expected to make their own investment decisions. There's no investment advice. There are no recommendations for purchases or sale of securities contained in this presentation. So let's get it started. We had an interesting week last week where we had a broad, modest sell-off in equities led by emerging markets, which were down almost 3%, but U.S. large-cap stocks were up about 40%. Glenn? Yeah, uh, we really saw uh, some volatility, a little bit of volatility, return to markets last week, uh, primarily over some growth concerns, maybe some uh, concerns about that Delta variant worldwide. Um, but really, uh, all three stock market indices, the Dow Jones, uh, S&P 500, and NASDAQ, all uh, finished at all-time highs last week. Yeah, it was, it was pretty remarkable. You know, the, bigger, the biggest getting bigger. I know there was some discussion last week, perhaps around more antitrust in some of big tech, but that certainly didn't affect the market prices, as you pointed out, some new all-time highs in the NASDAQ. Also, surprisingly, last week, Glenn, we had uh, the U.S. 10-year bond continued to remain sort of unreasonably low in terms of yield, and from my view, but high yield continued, you know, with a little bit of bid there. And, and there it is, long-term treasuries were the biggest winner last week, despite a lot of interest rate risk and inflation risk in these securities. Yeah, I've seen a lot of reasons bear, uh, bantered about, uh, about the decline in interest rates lately. Uh, could be growth concerns, as we'll see. Some of the ISMs came in a little weaker than expected. Could be that Delta variant. Um, I, I've also heard uh, technical uh, reasons for the lower rates, uh, as well as some short covering. So there could be a lot in there in those rates. But really, we saw a huge run up in rates uh, from the lows in August. Uh, and so a little give back there is to be expected, I think. Yeah, I think I think uh, you're right on all fronts. I think there was some short covering there, and um, some that's what happens. The classic short short squeeze. You see those prices go up, and uh, that drove the rates down a little bit. Uh, so, in terms of economic data released last week, no major surprises. 
The Marquette Services PMI, uh, it dropped to a still very high reading of 64.6. That was right in line with expectations of 64.8. That's 11 consecutive months of services expansion. And we're really, in many places, still in the reopening process. Uh, prices charged rose for the 13th consecutive month, but the rate of increase decelerated. And perhaps that contributes to some of the, the impact on the bond markets, right? Um, we also saw expansion in employment at a, a slightly decelerated rate. Um, if you move on to the services side, remembering of course that, that manufacturing is you know, 15% of the US economy, services is roughly 85% of the US economy, a still strong 60, but well below expectations there, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, new orders fell, business activity fell, employment fell, but uh, I don't know, Glenn, what do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about the miss here. As you see, it did uh, remain in expansionary territory, still remains above those 2019 to 2020 levels. Uh, and this was the 11th highest read in the 24 year history um, with March, April and May, the top three. So um, it's still pretty strong. Interesting. You know, and we're also seeing that maybe some of the I would say relative weakness to the past couple of months, as you point out, still very strong. Maybe some of this has to do with these challenges we have in, uh, in hiring and getting sure. people back to work. I mean, this graph here, uh, the blue line is jolts or job openings came in at 9.2, which is very close to, if not an all time high, because um, yeah, I guess it is. It beat, hit, no, no, the 9.19 was just below last month, which was the all time high. But uh, hospitality industry, education, and healthcare having trouble getting people to come back to work. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think we've been through an unusual time, and we just need a little more time. Things will uh, eventually balance out here. I think so, too. Uh, weekly claims for initial claims for unemployment um, came in at 373,000. It was a little above expectations. I've always said that you've got a, a strong labor market when you're below four, when there's a three handle in the front and you have an absolutely phenomenal labor market when you have a two handle where you're actually seeing real wages increase, et cetera. Uh, but we came in last week at the 373,000 continuing claims continue to drop a little back down to about 3.3 million. Uh, we also got consumer credit for May uh, that was the largest number on record, $35 billion borrowed by uh, American consumers, yet we still can't meet all of the demand uh, for manufactured goods. It's still, it's very remarkable, the supply-demand imbalance uh, coming out of this recession. Um, Non-revolving credit increased about $26 billion, revolving credit up about $9 billion. So very, very significant strength, I think, is being uh, shown there. Um, sort of rounding out the economic data uh, to the week was wholesale inventories. Uh, they rose a little bit more than expected at 1.3%. Uh, sales gained about eight tenths of a percent. But this inventory to sales ratio, ratio at 1.25 is still very low. I think it was what a week or two ago, Glenn, we put in the, uh, we showed the um, inventories uh, versus backlogs from the ISM and the that big gap is the biggest it's ever been ever. It's always big coming out of a recession because everybody rode down their inventories 
and they're, and the demand is starting to pick up. But this recession was unique. It was not a demand-based recession. It was because of the virus that we restricted supply. And then we also had sort of these, these monetary direct stimulus checks, which we've never really done before. You know, in the past, we did public works projects, classic Keynesian stimulus, which is more on the fiscal side. Now we're in this monetary stimulus and it, it's created just massive demand relative to inventories. Um, moving along, you know, we could talk a little bit about uh, where we're positioned. I know we, we've said this a lot and we've been this way for a while, Glenn. I mean, we, we have had this positioning on here for over a year now. And I think in my history of doing this, which is 30, about 34 years now, uh, it's some of the fewest numbers of changes I've made over a 12 month period in the portfolio. And that's just because that's the way the data has directed us and our views have directed us but we remain overweight equities relative to our benchmarks in all of our models and underweight fixed income or bonds in all of our models. The overweight equities has really helped us. Underweight fixed income has helped, but not so much in the last three weeks, right? Because we've seen that rally in the, in the treasuries. Um, within equities, obviously overweight to the US, um, overweight to large cap growth. You saw last week, the S&P Dow and the NASDAQ all beat small mid. Um, we are equal to our benchmark in mid cap. Small cap stocks are only a 5% allocation for us, but uh, that does exceed the 0% weighting in our equity benchmark. So we usually don't go much below 5% there, despite the fact that the benchmark doesn't have any small cap allocation. We remain underweight international developed, but as we talked about earlier, Christine Lagarde is, uh, is an impressive central banker. Uh, she has a long history uh, in the world of economics. She's quite an impressive individual. And she's now signaling that perhaps there are some changes to come there. And I don't know, Glenn, you and I are going to have to really take those into consideration as to our, our view and position on international developed markets, which we've been underweight for a very long time. We, we have been, and I think we've pointed to long-term um, issues in international developed markets as reasons for that uh, underweight as well as in terms of more recent times, uh, just the U.S. leading uh, in the recovery. And that's certainly helped us here. But, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic. I think international markets have been hurt here uh, the last few weeks as we've seen that Delta variant spread uh, more rapidly there. Uh, but you, you are right. You know, the certainly developed markets uh, may be due uh, for a bit of a rebound. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, on the fixed income side, we remain very low on cash. Uh, and in our fixed income, we have short duration. We've been expecting rates to, to go higher. I'm looking at a, at a chart of the 10-year treasury this morning, and it's at 136. Uh, I still don't think we want to make, you know, a big, uh, a big bet on them going much lower. And I believe, I believe by the end of the year, we're going to be well above this 136 level. So be that as it may. We still have that very, very small overweight to mortgage-backed securities in our portfolio. And there's discussions about in the taper, whether or not the taper will be disproportionate between treasuries and mortgage backs when the Fed finally gets there. Will they taper the mortgage backs first? Will they do them in an equal proportion? That's yet to be seen. Um, and we, of course, remain very overweight to corporate paper because in a recession, corporate paper doesn't really default much. So you get paid to take that extra risk of default in corporate paper. Uh, and when the strong economy with strong demand, those bonds are trading very, very rich. And we're certainly pleased with that, especially the allocation uh, to high yield 
our fixed income benchmark, as you know, Glenn, of course, is the aggregate bond index from Barclays. It does not include any high yield. Uh, and with us at 20% of our fixed income and high yield, it's really helped us outperform our benchmarks this year. Yeah, uh, significantly so. I'd say, uh, you know, around three and a half to three and three quarters percent uh, total return on that high yield position versus uh, a negative one fifteen to one twenty uh, on the aggregate bond index. So a really good outperformance in that high yield sector uh, this year. Well, yeah. Um, so what, we're, what are we watching closely for this week and maybe next couple of months, uh, folks, is number one, what's happening with the ECB? And we've talked about it a little bit already. A couple of nice quotes uh, from Christine Lagarde. She said some interesting variations and changes may be coming in regard to her statement about the July 22nd meeting, which is 10 days from now. She says it's going to be an important meeting and forward guidance will be revisited. That's, a, that's like big talk for a central banker. So we want to keep our eye on that. Of course, the biggest and most important central banker in the world is Jerome Powell, the United States Federal Reserve. Humphrey Hawkins' testimony this week, as we talked about, you can be sure that Glenn and I will be watching those things live. Uh, we talked about the debt limit, the dovish taper, and the Jackson Hole meeting. And then, as we said, big earnings uh, season starts this week. Uh, we get the cyclicals coming up. The banks will be the first. Uh, we expect very large year-over-year gains. Um, and maybe, maybe some guidance on some of the large stockpiles of cash that U.S. companies have. We also are returning to quite a bit of economic data this week. Uh, the big one's probably CPI for June. We'll see that tomorrow on Tuesday. And then Friday, retail sales are probably pretty darn big. Um, that's, you know, weekly claims. Hopefully that'll continue to go down. Uh, that's about it for, for this week. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to, you know, make a little plug here for the podcast, you know, uh, continue to uh, subscribe and give us reviews and thumbs up. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. You can get in touch with us, info at efficient-portfolios.com or give us a call if you have any questions or comments. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.